Well, hey, everybody. I really appreciate you joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or connecting with us online. Either way, I am super excited that you're here. And if this is your first time with us, I truly hope that it won't be your last. Now, most of you know, over the last several weeks, we've been sharing with you some of the ways that God has been using your generosity in our Christmas offering to meet basic and practical needs of people in our community who have been affected by this pandemic. And so today, I want to share another one with you, Uh, one of our newest local partners, the Christian Ministry Center, uh, located near our Ridge Campus up in the Batesburg area, had a chance uh, a little while ago to share some of your generosity with them, and I just wanted to share that moment with you. So, check this out. Well, hey, Cedar Creek, I'm excited today to be up here at the Christian Ministry Centers uh, with Darlene Baysmore, the director. And uh, Darlene, you guys do some incredible stuff. And I know this past year has been a, a very strange and difficult year yeah. in, in a lot of ways. But just share with us kind of basically what you guys provide for folks in our community. Okay, right now we're doing food, food distribution. Um, we actually can't let the clients in. We used to be a client choice where they could come in and pick the food that they want. But now we're actually taking it out to their car. Um, and we also help with utilities, water and light bills. Yeah, and I know... This past year, y'all had kind of had to shut that down, but now you're starting that back up, and I know that is a big issue yes. uh, along with food insecurity. Right. So we just want to come here today and one, just say thank you. Uh, thank you, all of your volunteers and folks who make this happen and make a difference in the lives of people in our community. But we also wanted to share with you uh, just a blessing from the folks at Cedar Creek Church. So it's a joy for uh, KT and Todd and I to present to you uh, this gift for $10,000 wow. from Cedar Creek Church. We just, so we much. know you guys are making a huge difference and we just want this to be a blessing to this community. Thank so thank you all for all you do. And thank you Cedar Creek Church thank for your you. generosity. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. And what I really hope is you never lose the connection between your generosity and the way God uses it to meet the needs of hurting people. Because I I know that you know this, but you know, it's not just giving money to a worthy cause, but it is about expressing our faith through generosity Trusting and knowing that when we place it in God's hands, he is able to take it and bless it and use it and get it into the hands of the people who most need it. So thank you for the way you have expressed faith through your generosity. And I just want to encourage you to continue to be praying for and looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever he has you on your journey. So again, thank you. Cedar Creek Church. Now, I want you to go ahead and grab your message notes, or if you're watching online, click on that link for your message notes. You can see we are in week five of this church-wide series and study called Reboot. And really, the goal of this series, the goal, the big idea behind this study was in light of all we've been through 
over this past year that it just seemed like a good idea to reboot some things in our lives, to kind of get a fresh start. And so we've talked about, you know, rebooting the way we reach and connect with people who are far from God. We've talked about rebooting the way that we think about ourselves and our lives. We've talked about rebooting the way we love others. We've talked about rebooting the way we grow spiritually to get closer to Jesus. But today, I want to look at an area of our life that I'm pretty sure every one of us could use a reboot in, and that is our attitude, right? We could use an attitude reboot about right now. As my dad used to say to me quite often, boy, you need the attitude adjustment. Anybody else ever hear that growing up? Yeah, and we we do. And the amazing thing about our attitude is how much it impacts every other area of our life. I think it's quite true that your attitude will determine your altitude. But here's the cool thing about your attitude. It is 100% in your control. Right? You control your attitude, and that's good news because there's very little else we can control in this life. Right? We have almost no control over the circumstances, the things that happen to us. We have zero control over the people in our lives, although many of us exhaust ourselves trying to control other people. We can't control them. And the problem is we allow the people and circumstances that we can't control to dictate the thing that we can control, and that is our attitude. You know, as I look back over this past year, I think the two most prevalent attitudes I see in our country, in our community, and even among us as believers within the church are fear and discouragement. Fear and discouragement are the attitudes we see most often, and many of us feel the most often. You know, in the the first half of the pandemic, those first five, six, seven months, we all had an attitude of fear. Fear was everywhere. Half of us were afraid of the virus, and the other half of us was afraid that the government's response to the virus was going to destroy our economy or take away our freedoms. But we all struggle with an attitude of fear. But now, as we're starting to come out of this pandemic, as the you know, vaccines are being distributed and, and the numbers are going down, we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not saying it's over because it's not, but we, at least we're closer to the end than we were the beginning. And even though we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, even though there's stuff to be excited about or to be grateful for, many of us, if not most of us, are still dragging some discouragement with us, even though we're headed into the light. That's actually not an unusual response. People often, when they go through long, difficult, dark circumstances in their lives, even when they get to the end of it, are still carrying a spirit and an attitude of discouragement. There's a really cool picture of this in the Old Testament with the the nation of Israel. They have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. You think this pandemic has gone on for a while. 400 years, that's all they had known is oppression and slavery. And they've been praying for God to rescue them. 
And so when God shows up and sends Moses to give them the good news that their journey is almost over, their burden is almost over, they are about, they're days, weeks away from walking out free, heading to the promised land. But I want you to look at the way they respond to that news. Exodus 6, 9. It says, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. Why? Because they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. See, that's the problem with discouragement. Discouragement keeps you from hearing what God is saying and seeing what God is doing. Discouragement can cause you to give up trying, to give up hoping, and even give up caring about anything. That's how destructive discouragement is in our lives. So as we get started today, can I just ask you a very personal question? What's discouraging you right now? What are you discouraged about? What discouragement did you bring in with you today? For some of you, you're very discouraged about the political direction of our country. Some of you are discouraged about your financial situation. Some of you are discouraged about your health or the health of others that you love. Some of you are discouraged about a relationship or you're discouraged about your kids and the direction they're going. Whatever is discouraging you today, you've picked a great day to be here. Because for the next few minutes, we're going to explore some very practical steps from God's Word to defeat the discouragement in our lives. And to help us do that, we're going to hear and get advice from somebody who I would say is the world's leading expert on defeating discouragement, and that is the Apostle Paul. Few people have had more reasons in their life to be discouraged than the Apostle Paul. In fact, I want you to listen to just a little bit of his autobiography, a little bit of what he writes about his journey following Jesus. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits. I've been in danger in the country, at sea, from false believers. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. You think you've had a bad year? You think you've had a tough life? I mean, this guy is the poster child for bad things happening to good people. I mean, think about that. Discouraging circumstances. No shortage of discouraging people in his life. If anybody had a right to be discouraged, it's Paul. But if you look at his life, you don't see a man beat down by discouragement. You see a man full of hope 
and joy and peace and purpose. How? How is Paul able to stay encouraged when so many things are discouraging him? Well, fortunately, Paul spells it out for us. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he gives us a step-by-step recipe for defeating discouragement in our lives. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be hanging out in this passage for the whole time. Three things we learn from Paul about defeating discouragement. Number one, I have to recognize my unique role in God's plan. If you want to defeat discouragement in your life, you have to recognize your unique role in God's plan. One of the reasons we get discouraged is we often lose sight of the big picture. We lose sight of the 50,000-foot view of who God is and, and what he's doing. And when we take our eyes off the big picture, the things we're going through, when they're right there in the moment, they seem random. And meaningless. They don't make any sense. Right? Most of us, all of us as Christians, and I'm not assuming everybody here is a follower of Jesus, but as Christians, most of us would say we firmly believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Right? And raise your hand if you believe that. God has a plan and a purpose. Yeah, that's the vast majority. That's sort of a core doctrine of Christian faith. We believe God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. The problem is we struggle to see how the difficult people and the difficult circumstances fit in to that plan. See, Paul understood that all these things that he had been through, All the things he was going through right then and all the things he would go through in the future were all part of what God had called him to do and who God had called him to be. That's why right out the gate, verse 1, look at what he says. God, with his mercy, gave us this work to do so we don't give up. You see the connection between recognizing this is what God has called me to do, and because of that, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to give up. You understand, Paul wrote this book of 2 Corinthians as a second letter that he sent to a church in the Greek city of Corinth. This was a church, by the way, that Paul had started from scratch. This was a church he had poured his life into. These were the people that he served faithfully for years. And then as they got up and were growing and healthy, Paul then moves on to plant other churches in other cities. And in his absence, a group of people within the church begin to question Paul's leadership. They begin to question his motives and his methods. And they used his hard times as proof of that. They would say, if this is really God's man, he wouldn't be going through all this tough stuff, right? If he was living right, he wouldn't have all these challenges in his life. In fact, they were probably even questioning his salvation because of the circumstances in his life. Imagine the very people that you have given your life to serving, questioning your motives, right? It reminds me of that great line 
from Jack Nicholson in a few good men movie when he's, he's being asked about the way he's led his troops. And he says, I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to people who rise and sleep under the blanket of the very freedom I provide and then question the manner in which I provide it. Right? He's outraged. That's the world's response to that when people question you. But Paul's response is totally different. Paul doesn't get angry. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get discouraged. He just reminds himself of who he really works for and why he's doing what he's doing. Listen, I don't know why you're going through that tough time that you're going through. I don't know who's questioning you, your motives, your methods. I don't know what coworkers or people you work with are, are questioning whether you're the right person for the job or you're doing it the right way. I don't know any of that, but I do know this. If you can get your eyes off of the struggle and get your eyes on the big picture that God is moving and working, that he has a plan and a purpose, you'll go from being discouraged to being encouraged. And look, there's more to it than that. It's not just recognizing that God is moving and working in your circumstances. You also got to recognize that God is working in and through the unique way that he's shaped you. You are who you are because that's how God created you to be. And he created you for his glory to serve out of the way he shaped you. That's why you have the personality you have. That's why you have the strengths you have. That's why you have the weaknesses you have. God shaped you, and it's out of that shape that you fit into his plan and his purpose. But if you keep trying to be what everybody else wants you to be, you'll end up discouraged. In fact, that's why Paul says in verse 2, we use no trickery, and we do not change the teaching of God. We teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we are. Right, Paul's saying, look, we're up front. We're serving the way we're serving you out of authenticness of who God created us to be. Why is it so important for you to grasp that? Because most of the discouragement in our lives comes from trying to be what everybody else wants us to be and do what everybody else wants us to do. Take it from me, an actively recovering people pleaser who struggles with this every day. It is impossible to please everybody. It's impossible. Jesus couldn't do it. But you will continue to exhaust yourself if you run after trying to be what other people want you to be rather than being who God shaped you to be. Let me tell you, soon as you get this crowd happy and pleased with you, you've ticked this crowd off. And then you run back over and try to get this crowd happy with you and you get them happy, now they're ticked off again. And it is an exhausting journey to try to make everybody happy instead of being who God created you to be so you can do the things he created you to do. If you'll just recognize God's plan and your unique role in fulfilling that plan, I promise you'll have less discouragement in your life. But here's the key. That don't happen unless you're able to get yourself out of the way. And that leads to the second step to defeating discouragement, and that is realizing that it's not about me. 
You have to realize that it's not about me. The more self-centered I am, the more discouraged I will become. Let me say that again. The more self-centered I am, the more discouraged I will become. Now that seems counterintuitive, right? Because it feels like if I I make my life about me, I do what I want to do, I focus on me and my needs, then my circumstances will be better and I'll be less discouraged. But God's kingdom is turned upside down. It works completely differently. That's why Jesus said, you want to experience life? Then stop trying to hold on to the life you want and give your life for what I have called you to do. But you got to get yourself out of the way. Paul understood this. Notice verse 5. He says, our message is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are your servants for his sake. Why does this matter? This is so important. Don't miss this. If Paul was all about Paul, then the rejection of those in the church he started, he would take that personally, right? If he was all about his method, his message, all about his performance as a church planner, then he would be discouraged by that rejection. But because he realized his life is not about him, his life was about Jesus. His message was not about his ability to perform, but about the message Jesus shared. Then all of a sudden, he doesn't take it personally. They're not rejecting him. They're rejecting Jesus. If your life is all about you, the more personal you're going to take everything. If you try to make the universe revolve around you, then you're going to be discouraged by every unkind word spoken about you. If it's all about you, you are going to be discouraged by every critique or criticism. If you make it all about you, every post on Facebook is going to rock your emotional world. But if you'll make your life about Jesus, if you'll make it about him, then not only... Will critiques and criticisms or people pointing out your weakness and flaws, not only will that not make you discouraged, it will make you grateful for those weaknesses, those faults, and those flaws. Because that's where God uses you. Paul puts it this way, verse 7. He says, we are like clay jars in which this treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us. Paul intentionally used this analogy of clay jars because everyone who read this letter, everyone who heard it, would automatically know exactly what he's talking about. Because clay jars in the first century were unbelievably common. The poor, the middle class, the rich, everybody had clay jars, and they were incredibly fragile. Unlike the clay pots we have today, which get a glazing and are cured in an oven, a kiln, These were just lumps of clay that had been molded in the shape of a bowl and just set out in the sun to dry. And so they were easily broken. They were considered disposable. Nobody went around showing off their clay pots. It was not like your grandmother's fine china. Probably the closest thing to describe it to here in our culture might be like a paper plate, right? 
You know, paper plates are common. You know, you don't focus on the plate. You don't try to impress people with your paper plates when you have them over. And so when Paul says we are like clay jars, what he's saying is we're like paper plates. It's not about the plate. It's about the meal on the plate. It's about who Jesus is, what he has done. We're just a vessel, a temporary vessel for right now. I think the other thing we need to remember about these clay jars is how easily they are cracked and broken, right? And what Paul is saying, it's in our cracks, it's in our brokenness that God's power is most often seen. You don't help people through your strengths and having it all together or pretending that you do. I don't try to stand up here and make you believe my life is perfect, my marriage is perfect, my kids are perfect. You already know the reality. I share, try to share often out of my weaknesses because if I share out of my strengths, you'll just sit there and go, well, I could never do that. But if I share out of my brokenness, you go, maybe God can use me too. Maybe God can work through me. That's why Paul says, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses because in my weakness, God's power is best seen. But here's the problem. The more you make life about you, your image, what everybody else thinks, the more time and energy you're going to spend trying to hide and pretend and pose. And let me just tell you, not only is that life discouraging, it is exhausting. But the more you make your life about God's power, the more you can not only relax in your limitations, but the more you will allow God to use your brokenness to encourage others and to point them not to you, but to Jesus. If you want to defeat discouragement, you got to realize your unique role in God's plan you got to recognize or realize that it's not about you. And then number three, you have to renew daily your focus on eternity. To renew daily my focus on eternity. Defeating discouragement is not just about recognizing that God is moving and working in my life and in my weaknesses, in my past, in my present, in my future. But it's also about recognizing that as a Christ follower, our future is an eternal future. Life on this earth is not all that there is. You know, right after Paul paints this word picture of us being like cheap clay jars that hold a treasure, he he then writes those words from this chapter that we're so familiar with. It's right after talking about being a clay jar that Paul says, therefore we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed and confused, but we're not discouraged. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. How? How is that possible? Look at what he says, verse 16. He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. How do you renew your spirit every day? Well, I can tell you this, it doesn't come from trying to wake up in the morning and talk yourself into a positive attitude. It doesn't come from standing in the mirror and quoting daily affirmations, trying to pump yourself up. It comes from focusing on eternity and seeing everything in your life in light of that eternity. 
I love what Paul says in verse 17 and 18. He says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Press pause right there. Remember, this is the guy that we read about at the beginning of the message. This is the guy I've been through. How in the world can he call those struggles small and short term? I'll tell you why. Look at what he says. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you can endure the impossible if you will focus on the invisible. You can endure the impossible when your focus is on the invisible. And listen, I know when you're going through that dark tunnel, I know that sounds like some kind of petty, super spiritual, churchy, flippant saying. I know how those words sound when you are in the dark, dark tunnels of oppression and depression and loss and grief. I know it's like when you're going through a hard time and somebody says, well, remember, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You hate to hear that. I mean, it's true, but it's not what you need to hear. And I want you to understand when I say you can endure the impossible by focusing on the invisible, I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing the struggle you're going through. As a friend, as somebody who cares about you, I am sorry for that pain. Some of you are going through things I couldn't even begin to imagine. And I'm sorry, and God knows I wish I had a magic wand to fix it for you, but I don't. And so as a pastor, all I can do is simply remind you that if you are a Christ follower, whatever it is you're going through, it is temporary. Even if it walks with you to the day of your death, it is temporary because you will live for eternity. And the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth will be nothing compared to the trillions on trillions on trillions of years that will just be the very beginning of your journey in eternity. I was reminded this week of a lady that came and spoke in the church I grew up in many years ago. I was just a young kid, probably elementary school. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. Those of you that are older here maybe remember that name. As a young Christian child growing up in Holland, uh, she and her family were captured by the Germans. They were thrown into the concentration camp. She lost both her parents. She lost her sister. And as she stood on the stage of that church and described the horrors of her childhood and her life, what her story did not match her countenance. Because this fragile little old woman, with all the struggle she had been through, there was an aura of peace and joy in her life. There was a contentment that was palpable, but it didn't match with the circumstances of her life. I don't remember much of what she said that day, but I'll never forget she ended her message with this phrase right here. She said, if you focus on the external, you will become distressed. If you focus on the internal, you will become depressed. 
But if you can focus on the eternal, you can be at rest. That is the message of hope that Jesus brings. And in holding on to that message of hope, we can be encouraged even when everything around us is discouraging. Close with this last verse, Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the clear example and hope that comes from knowing that in the midst of discouraging circumstances, when we are surrounded by discouraging people, that we can raise our eyes, look up to you, and find encouragement and hope from knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, that you've uniquely shaped us for that purpose. And God, could you give us the strength through your spirit to get ourselves out of the way, to stop thinking that everything is about us and lose ourselves in serving you and your purposes. And then, Father, thank you for the eternity that we can see everything in our life through that lens. I don't know what's discouraging you today. I don't know what struggle, what person or people. I do know this. God wants you to be encouraged to keep on keeping on with your eyes on Him and your heart pursuing His purposes and not your own. So Jesus, move among your people all over all of our campuses to all the folks who are watching online. Would you help us take that next step to defeating the discouragement that the enemy uses so much? In Jesus' name, amen.